0: Hi, welcome back to Zenith Podcast. I'm your host, Caesar Davila, and I'm here with a very special guest. This is going to be a very special episode actually because today i have todd esparza he is a current st- college student our c- from a current classmate as well he is studying history to be a future educator hi welcome todd
1: hi thanks so
0: hi and we're here specifically to talk about we're doing a deep dive today today we're going to talk about uh resources with schools from k-12 through to college and um kind of shining a light with spe- specifically with disability services And um, I'm really glad to have you on, Todd. And can I ask you, like, why is it so important to talk about these things?
1: I think it's important because a lot of the system for public education kind of relies heavily on learning options that some people with disabilities like myself may not be able to access fully. And it's important for us to provide information for certain people who may head into teaching um, as a career and they have a student who has a disability. It's something that they should be aware of.
0: And um, just to start off, just so everyone who's listening can understand um, your perspectives better, can, can you talk about your, like, your your life and your disability?
1: Yeah, so... I was born disability, uh, disabled when um, I was born 28 weeks early, uh, gestation. So that's about four months early. Four and, months? Yeah. Wow. And I was uh, one pound, one ounce, and I was also a triplet. So I have a sister, and I had another sister who um, unfortunately passed away. And uh, as a baby, she wasn't able to um, survive the such early birthing. And me and my uh, sister um, struggled a lot where we, when we were born, we had underdeveloped lungs and uh, a lot of um, issues because uh, we weren't fully developed when we uh, were birthed. And so they had to put us in incubators and we stayed that way for about four months. Four months after birth? Yeah. Wow. And we had uh, extra oxygen uh, in our incubators and we had steroids that, um, were helping us develop our lungs and the rest of our, you know, organs. And through the process of the extra oxygen, um, my retina is detached. It's called, um, retinopathy of prematurity. And it's because the concentrated oxygen, um, made the retinas fragile they were already fragile to begin with and so they detached and i had to go into surgery and i was able to attach my left retina but i wasn't able to attach my right retina so i became uh fully blind in my right eye from the few days of birth
0: so like your whole life you've never been able to see through your right eye yes wow and and then um with your with your left eye, were you Did you have a hundred percent visibility when you were younger?
1: No, actually, um, my left eye vision has uh, always been very limited. Where I have no peripheral vision, no depth perception. I can pretty much only see things that are about five feet in front of me, and so for me, it was. It's something that I'm used to because I don't have any other alternative um, vision-wise. But it's a definite impact versus when I'm explaining how I see um, in colors and um, two-dimensional all the time. I have no um, depth perception, so everything looks flat to me.
0: And uh, can you also kind of describe like how is it that you see?
1: Yeah, so... When I'm looking like at down the street and you see, um, there's poles and there's trees and stuff like that. I only see colors and blobs. Uh, it wouldn't be until I'm like almost right in front of something that I can like tell like, Oh, there's a wooden pole like right there. But I kind of guess what things are based on what's generally supposed to be there. Like I know trees are generally on the sides of the sidewalks, and they're green and tall and big. And the poles that sometimes happen, they're usually on the left side um, towards the street, and they are very tall and slim and dark because they're made of wood or other metal. And it's where I'm not able to recognize faces. I have no um, facial recognition. If I want to actually see what a person looks like, I have to actually see a photo and like, blow up the image and zoom in and see like what color eyes they are or um if they have like earrings or what kind of of hairstyle they have um it's very um frustrating when I can't like identify somebody um automatically I actually identify people and and I use my hearing as like a way of navigating because I have such limited vision
0: do you um this is something that like i i've i've heard from a lot of different like forms of like just median and stuff that like once you lose one sense one sense the other ones become enhanced do you feel like your hearing is do you feel like your your sense of hearing or any of these other senses may have been uh maybe uh strong like like do you think you have a strong sense of hearing
1: I know that that's definitely a myth. That's a myth? It's definitely a myth. Okay. Uh, A blind person doesn't necessarily have super hearing or taste or whatever. They actually have people who are actually born with uh, acute hearing or some other factor, but that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing. I think what it is is that because I have such limited vision, I'm pretty much almost lost my whole sight. I notice pay attention more to my hearing so like how everyone sees and they pay attention to like oh where someone's going what they look like and everything uh pertaining to the site i hear things because that's how i'm relying it's a shift in um your attention so even though it's not necessary that your hearing is increased it's more of like what you're focused on
0: oh that makes to- that makes complete sense okay i totally see that and um just and also like just to kind of like clarify too like when it comes to like the percentage of vision that you're given um how much would you say that you have
1: i'd say i'd probably have about 20 percent, give or take five
0: okay cool i mean not cool but okay i understand that and um so like how has uh, how do you feel like your experience with school like with schools and life in general has been affected due to this
1: to be honest i've had a mixed experience of both good and bad, um, or not necessarily bad, more frustration. Um, when I, my first ex- educational experiences were actually in special education schools and programs, uh, as I was growing up and developing as a child, because they were determining my limitations, what kind of disability I would have aside from the site, because, when you're born at such a high, um, prematurity, there tends to be a lot of factors that can possibly lead to other disabilities aside from just sight. Um, you can have motor disability and, um, speech disabilities, brain, you know, function can be, um, abnormal. I mean, there's a lot of different, different, um,
0: like avenues?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of different um avenues and like different ways that that a body can develop. And when you are born premature, those risks of other disabilities can um be heightened. And like, example, I actually looked into an article my mom thought of because I have anxiety. and um, they say with the premature birth that that's actually a common. Um, experience for people who are born premature there's other factors that could do so when I was going to these special schools they determined you know oh do they have a motor you know function disability are they able to example throw a ball are they able to um catch are they able to play like move around um okay and um are they able to learn because a lot of um People with um, pre- that are born premature, there's a high risk of a learning disability. And so they were looking specifically to me as far as, in my case, is my inability to write in a straight line due to my vision or due to my motor skills.
0: Oh, okay. I see that. And um, these are all things that uh, the schools that you went to were trying to figure
1: out? Yes, they were trying to, you know, through minor tests and just, you know, general uh, learning like i have a, a huge problem when it comes to reading aloud um because i have to have the screen a certain way where it's blown up and it's uh tracking the words okay. i have a i have a problem with it because um my eyes when they focus on something they bounce a little bit from They don't stay straight onto the um focus target. They kind of bounce from side to side or up and down. So when you're reading a line on a piece of paper or on the screen or something, I can generally read the line, but then I lose track of where I'm at. Instead of going automatically straight down to read the next word, I have to find where I'm at on the page again and re-align uh, myself with it. So reading aloud is not a very strong suit for me because of that vision um disparity of not being able to um follow correctly
0: okay and when it came to the 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 tests that were done like for you like how how did you feel about that since like it's kind of like a like a like a like a unique circumstance that you're in
1: yeah, well, most tests that they do, it's not necessary like you would think of in the doctor's office. So that was, you know, the case for some of it, like physical checkups and stuff. It's more of like, can you do this math problem? Can you uh, say your ABCs? Can you count one, two, three, you know, in order? is Can you read this word? Can you, um, you know, these minor little tests that you don't really think about is... um Something that they determine scientifically um, whether you have dyslexia, whether you have um, a problem in your speech, or um, are you able to understand concepts? Okay. And so they're not invasive. They're just minor things that that education, uh, science, and uh, education have come up with to determine um, markers um, oh. for various. Um,
0: so so they didn't at all make you feel like, like a lab rat or you know, something no, like that. No, that's really good. Okay, that's something I mean I, like that's something I don't know. So like it's really like I um it's important to like kind of understand, you know, how what is the process when it comes to that. Yes. You know, so um I I do remember you mentioning how your disability was in a form invisible, which definitely changed um which definitely like changed as time went by, you know? Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that?
1: So after I went through my special program all the way to pre-K, where I learned ABCs, 1, two threes, and everything like that, how to spell my name, then they determined that I was able to go into kindergarten. But it was decided that um, uh, in a public school, I was able to attend public school. Um, and it was decided that I would be held back and redo kindergarten just to be able to ensure that I was able to um, kind of blend, not blend in, but not assimilate. It's like be used to my environment because through the special education programs that I was uh, interacting with prior, You have a lot of focused attention, specialized attention with your teachers. The classrooms are smaller. The education environment is different. There's a lot of colors. There's a lot of singing. There's a lot of um, activities that you do with interactions with the other students. Versus when I went into the public school education system, you're more reliant on not necessarily having a close relationship with your educator. But, um, being able to follow along with everyone else, um, being able to keep up with the um the school, the school curriculum, and how uh fast paced it is, they were worried that I they didn't want me to be fall behind because I'm not used to that environment. I'm used to the teachers going by my pace,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean. Um, that itself is very interesting when it comes to the public school system and how it's kind of like everything is uh, fixed when it comes to learning. You know, everything is through um, presentations, it's through lectures, through readings. It's very few um, variety of forms of learning, you know, because, like, yeah, sure, like, it's kind of strange how there's an assumption that everyone can learn the same way, you know, and I could see how they, like, um, did the like uh, the adaption of it did you like it or did you prefer like the variety of forms that you were learning before that
1: i definitely advocate for the small classrooms and the specialized education that i had in the special schools unfortunately you probably only get that in a private school
0: yeah because of the resources that are given Yes. Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense because, like, I think on average, like, classrooms are about um, 30 students, you know, with public education. How big were the classrooms for uh, special education?
1: Special education, I think we had about 10, maybe 15 kids. At the most, 20, if I remember correctly. I mean, there was different classrooms, and I'm following off of everyone going to recess. So there was quite a few students, but at the same time, it was very small. And actually, um, I want to amend that uh, it wasn't until uh, third grade that I actually got this form of new education because I actually went to a private school, the first K through second grade. So I still had a little bit of the smaller classroom sizes and um, the interaction with um, teachers was a little bit more focused, but it was still more broadened than what the special education programs did you know it was kind of like an in between
0: okay and uh something we mentioned before the podcast that i i would uh, i want to like kind of like um come back to is kind of like it's like the word special education you mentioned how um you feel better and like it was just it's like i which i agree with you is um kind of switching the word from special to like alternative or like other form like another word for it because i think special education um has this weird uh, connotation yes you know like like um can you elaborate on that
1: yeah i never really liked the term of special education just because it's to me because with my disability specifically i have a bright mind i'm able to understand concepts i'm able to follow along with the education system the difficulty that I have is my vision that slows me down but not necessarily caps me in my intellectual endeavors for a thing that needs to be special it needs to be different also and I feel like for the disability community We're not special as indifferent. We're just another form, another alternative to how we learn and how we experience things. That doesn't mean that we can't read. That doesn't mean that um, we can't do math or that um, we don't want to go to college like everyone else. It just means that we have other obstacles that we need to overcome and other ways of doing things than a person who doesn't have an ailment Um, it's important to understand that the wording that we use to describe these programs needs to be inclusive and positive it doesn't necessarily need to be something that's
0: like isolating isolating and, uh, and separating
1: and separating yes
0: yeah because like uh something that it kind of uh connects to when it uh, when it comes to races except for distance and race but this is with the abilities it's like separate but equal mm-hmm. and, spe- and special education and the term special education leads towards that same frame where uh you know like you're separate but at the same time you're equal quote-unquote even though they even though like they're treating you as if you're not equal and you're not able to comprehend just because of the physical and in- like incompetent in- in- The physical ability that you are given
1: yes yes it's more of people who automatically assume a person is term on term slow or mentally challenged or however the you know the colloquial terms are it's not that they there are some that have a cap as to their intellectual abilities but other people that their brain is processing differently it doesn't mean that it's uh capped they can still learn it's just that they have to learn in a different way it's like with a person with dyslexia you know it's not that they can't read people assume that oh you're dyslexic you can't read it's that they need to read in a certain way there's programs and texts that allow them to focus on the words in a certain way so that they can understand it correctly because physically their brain is switching certain letters or words around and tricking them into, you know, thinking, presenting itself as to something that it's not. So that makes it difficult for a person with dyslexia to read. But of course, they can read, you know, with a person who uh, is mentally um challenged or i don't know the exact term
0: i think like i think now the term is just becoming disabled rather than challenged. you know yeah yeah
1: it's like they have they have as much opportunity to do what they want
0: and potential like and
1: potential yeah
0: yeah i totally agree with that and something also you mentioned before it's kind of how you were accommodated with with what you have, you know, with the books that you have. Can you kind of go in depth with that?
1: Yeah, so... When I went into public education, this was around uh, grade three up until um, now, um, I have to have a special... Currently, it's special programs, but before it used to be actual texts, where... Um, in middle school and high school, you get a textbook for the class, and it's a big, usual big hardback textbook that you have to. That I personally had to lug around um, when I went to school. We didn't have lockers, so when we had to bring our textbooks because we had to do an assignment in class, we had to bring all those textbooks back and forth. And for me, because I'm not able to read regular print of, like, 12 point or whatever, I actually have to read around 32, or 26 to 30, 32 point bold in order to read something, and that takes up a lot of space on a page if you're trying to type something, and so what they did was through my IEP um, person, who is, like, the specialized um, teacher who works with disabled students, and she provides resources for the person who needs um, accommodations in a classroom through the K through 12 system uh, in college you have actual centers that um, will help you with the accommodations but um, in the K through 12 system it's one person
0: okay and um, when it comes to K through um, 12 was it just one person for like your school or like for the district
1: yeah it would be one person for the district the
0: district, Oh, my God. As far
1: as my knowledge is, yes.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, also, I'm pretty sure it all differs when it comes to the resources that are given from schools, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, let's dive in a little bit to the resources that are given. So um, the classes that we're taking right now that's allowing us to do this is um, Ethnic and Women's Studies on Education and Social Change by Dr. Jose Aguilar in Cal Poly. So what he does is he's teaching this course. He created this course, which is magnificent and totally amazing. I'm so happy that he did this because it allows us to understand this, is how different um, resources are dispersed depending on the communities that are surrounding it, you know, and he specifically mentions, um, he does uh, two really good um, comparisons on the difference with resources with uh, Crenshaw High School, in which the population, the student population is 1,400. Um, the demographic of it is 77% black, 22% Latino, and then less than 1% for both white and Asian. The median income there is 37000 for the family. 37,000, and because of this, the resources, the hallways, the architecture, everything there is very, um, it's very like how do I say this? Um, not up to date, you know, like they don't have the resources, the money to put into that. And this, and if the classrooms and if the hallways and and the physical architecture is not up to date. What makes you think the resources and programs that they offer to the students is up to date too? I'm pretty sure it's definitely a lot harder for a school like Crenshaw to find uh, abilities to accommodate people that um, that other schools would be able to, you know. And and he compares uh, Crenshaw High School to. Palos Verdes Peninsula High School, which is in Rolling Hills Estates, California, near the coast. This one, the population is twenty-four hundred students. The demographic for this is forty-three percent white, forty-four percent Asian, eight percent Latino, three percent black. And the median income is one hundred forty-five thousand dollars for the families around it. That's hard. That's more than a hundred. That's more than hundred ten thousand dollars that these families are getting compared to Crenshaw High School families, you know. And because of this. The campus is gorgeous. The campus is very similar to what a college campus would be. Very spacious, very green, a lot of architect- a lot of very up-to-date architecture. And like the fields, they have like a whole like computer. They have a whole computer like lab and classroom and libraries. Their gym like their gym and auditorium are huge two-story like two stories. Their gym transitions from basketball a basketball court to a pool. The pool's under, you know, like to like it blows my mind because my high school Los Altos didn't have that. Like you know, it wasn't. Mine as, didn't either. Yeah, you know, and because of this, I actually searched up both um, for both schools, um, disability and special education services. And when it comes to, and when it comes to uh, Crenshaw High School, they have a health and wellness center, which uh, in the website here it talks about the services they offer is uh, health education, sexual transmitted infection treatment, physical exams, adolescent counseling, and mental health screenings. It doesn't even, like, there isn't even something easily accessible when it comes to special education in Crenshaw High School. Wow, when I searched up that in Palos Verdes Peninsula High School, the website takes, um the website had, had already so many more resources and um, so many more uh, links and avenues that you could click on that when you click on special education, it went to different different programs and referral pro- um, processes, health services, parental resources, and um, there's actually, like, a, a link that um, you could click that takes you to different programs such as special education teachers, adaptive physical education teachers, school psychologists, speech therapists, occupational therapists, behavioral intervention teams, special education assistants, nurses. You know, these are all things that they're able to afford because of, the, because of the resources that they're given. You know, I'm pretty sure Crenshaw High School, the district might have someone, one person just like how you had, but I'm pretty sure palos verdes peninsula has like entire departments as you can see here they have adaptive physical education teachers which might be something that you've probably fallen under right yeah also the wording of it adaptive physical education you know or like a or like you know special education program specialists you know these are all things that like that allow different like varieties and like it it, it takes it it takes away from the greater context of like what is general and goes more specific
1: yeah because i also had a as well as my IEP teacher that focused on the educational um, resources that I needed in the classroom, I also had a mobility instructor, which is someone who um, goes also uh, within the district, and they actually um, help students who have a mobility disability, and uh, technically I do have one um, because of uh, myself being blind. I I use a white cane to navigate now. And that was the first time in high school that I started using a cane.
0: You started using a cane in high school? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, and uh, I actually didn't like using the cane outside of the lessons, even though I, I carried it with me. Uh, I didn't use it in the campus of the high school, Because I didn't want people to look at me uh, oddly. Because I would be a sore thumb sticking out using my cane. And in high school environment, it's difficult to have people be receptive to a person um, that seems different. Because they're still growing. They're still maturing. And... There was bullying from other um, students uh, for other reasons, you know. So, for me, I didn't want to draw attention to myself.
0: And, I mean, that's that's also a problem itself in which that, like, these schools don't even offer that awareness, you know. And, like, the ability to, like I'll, like, tell these students to respect, you know, like, others and it definitely falls in, under the the umbrella which we we're talking about with the resources in schools cuz schools only teach like history, english, science but like when it comes to the communication skills, you know, like the ability to like empathize and understand and respect others, definitely not learning mm-hmm. that led to this displeasure of experiences that you that you, you're, you're you're expressing right now.
1: Yeah, like when I was in middle school I actually had uh entered into a program called Odyssey. And that actually, what the program did was that in your three years in middle school, you were able to interact with students of about 150 um, and have your four main subjects of math, science, English, and history be taught by the same four teachers for the three years. Unfortunately, we had some switching around of teachers throughout the years, but we had one teacher that was with us for four years. And within that program, you were taught the communication skills that you mentioned of empathy, integrity. That was the first time I ever heard of the word integrity, and I actually understood it. Um, Because we did a, we would learn our education of math, English, science, and history, during the week, Monday through Thursday. And then on Fridays, we would come together because uh, our classrooms were the double side double um, sides of a regular classroom, so they broke down the wall. Okay. And they made it into one big classroom, and we would have round tables. And we would um, clear those tables and put them all stacked up on the back. And we would all sit down. 150 students that would be able to fit in the room and we would have a lesson in a certain skill that um, the teachers wanted us to talk about and we would either have a presentation and discuss what a word means so for example with integrity um, I know that we did a reading on the flowers for Algernon and it discussed in, uh, we used that reading and we, we talked about the meaning of integrity. What does it mean to, be, uh, to have that character trait? And we would go and we'd actually do a small um, write-up or uh, assignment and we would uh, connect to the word into our everyday life and we'd come back and we'd reflect. And having that community-based learning was something that was very transformative, especially in those years, where even to this day, uh, if I were to walk into a room and see another person that was in that program, I would be comfortable enough to go up to them and say, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? And to have a conversation with them, because we had a connection through that program. And we did other projects that would apply our learning um of like an example in history we learned about the barter system and how that was the current currency was that you would trade items and you would trade services for things that you wanted with your neighbors and what we did at lunchtime one specific afternoon was we would set up stalls little areas and we would bring snacks with us like a of cupcakes and some oreos or something like that and we would go around and we would start trading our snacks with the other people and it would have a it would be able to have a practical and for them you know it's about money it's about how many how many resources can they get from the state and federal government based off the attendance of their students and for for students to understand this concept of the teachers and the school need students, that's why it's so successful when uh, students speak up and they uh, walk out or they have strikes or they um, create committees and um, have a activist perspective on their education system because that is what is needed in order for change to occur.
0: Yeah. I mean, that leads to direct change. And like, there's a few things that, you know, uh, school systems just people in general can do to create a more, um, a more like, uh, uh, how, do I, how do I say this, like welcoming, not just welcoming, but like uh, a more motivating environment for these students to do this, you know? And uh, this is, and I, I want to bring up another article called um, Whose Culture Has Capital? A Critical Race Theory Discussion of Community Wealth, Cultural Wealth. This is by uh, Tara J. Yoso. And this specifically, uh, the the concept that we want to bring up here is uh, the use of capital and, and how to change and adapt uh, frameworks and just people to engage into these other I mean these other forms of change you know and to wanna, like, want to like one change and to create change you know so um when it comes to capital uh, the one you like the one that you want to bring up is aspirational capital correct yes yeah so aspirational capital refers to the ability to maintain hopes and dreams for the future even in the face of real and perceived barriers this allows students to understand that like the possibilities are endless and they shouldn't be limited to what they think they deserve but more on what is their potential and how to fulfill that potential
1: yeah so um before i start on that i just want to explain real quick that um yoso's article is discussing the importance of capital in the education system and in society and how usually there's only two forms of capital that it is who you know and what you know and with the disparities and inequalities of the education system most of the time people who are part of the communities of color don't have necessarily these two capitals the most you'll find um is a community-based uh capital which she also discusses but these forms of capitals that that um, we're going to discuss are alternative capitals that should be recognized and validated um, specific to um, the communities of color. Um, For the aspirational capital, I um, deeply identify with this because my mom was the one who pushed me and my siblings to ensure that we had a good education. She moved us from La Puente um, to Covina because of the area that we were living in had turned into somewhere, that uh, into a direction that she wasn't um, comfortable with in raising her her children in. And so she moved. Um, And she put us in schools um, that were better for us because uh, she wanted to ensure that we had a better education than what she did. She grew up in L.A. And um, she grew up in an environment where um, it was difficult to have a quality education with the, uh, environment that she lived in and the household that she lived in. And so she didn't want any of the struggles that she had to go through, um, in her educational, um, system, uh, in her educational experience, um, to, uh, to be able to avoid that for us. And so she put us in the best goals that she could, um, and, she made sure that we did our homework she made sure that we uh did assignments on time and went to school on time and it's through her pushing of this you can follow your dreams you can do whatever you want as long as you put your mind to it and you can uh have this form of base like we will support you uh, as best we can to ensure that you are able to do what you want to do this basis of like resilience and this basis of um positive encouragement allowed me and my siblings to be able to work hard in our in uh in our assignments and in our uh, follow instructions and in our education system to continue despite the challenges that we had
0: yeah i mean I, I i totally connect with you with especially um what you meant with like what you said with like how your mom like cha- i like, moved you to schools because that's what happened with me i was um i'm in la puente and i was supposed to go to the bassett unified school district i was supposed to go to bassett high school because bassett high school is legit like a three minute drive 10 minute walk from my house but she used my uh cousin's address in Hacienda heights to allow me and my sisters to go to los altos high school because that was apparently a better high school to go to
1: yes i mean if you look at the high schools and the uh, districts that are in my area there's only a handful maybe two if i remember that actually have um what's called the IB program and the ap programs which were um they are high school programs that allow students, uh, again, a select few students to enter into the program and learn more beyond uh, what is required in the regular high school classrooms. We did projects and we did other um, critical thinking when it came to um, the readings that we did and the education that we received. And if we had gone to the school that we... Um, We're supposed to go to based on our address at the time we would have gone to a school that didn't have those programs and um the difference between the uh houses that i lived in when i went to high school and the one i live in now is um a difference of only one street um on grand avenue where you have on one side of grand you have houses that are simple and they're um still modern and everything but they are only one story and uh, i lived in a cul-de-sac so it was a quieter street but there's businesses all along grand and and there's apartments and um just you can tell it's like more of a working class environment versus if you go on the other side of grand um on those streets and that's where the school district was you have two-story houses It's like an immediate difference in the income level. You have um, two-story houses with pools or with larger yards. And um, those high school and middle school um, environments reflect that. I remember this one time um, personally. uh, When I went to high school, I was a wrestler um, for the high school. Um, They had made a girls' team. And, um, at the time I, uh, was, uh, following along in, in, um, going to the wrestling program. And at that time, uh, it was my senior year and they went and offered the option to have polo shirts for all the seniors, but you had to pay a certain amount of money. And at the time my dad works in construction, he couldn't afford it. We were you know, uh, unable to afford the, um, extra, uh, polo shirt. And when I got my package of like the sweats and all that stuff that you need to gear for the workout and everything, I noticed that every other person on the team had a polo shirt minus me and a couple other people, you know? And so there's like a difference in the income, uh, that you can see from, the people who could afford polo shirts versus the people who couldn't for various reasons i didn't go and ask them what they were but you know it shows in my perspective growing up that we were definitely living in an area that we probably couldn't really afford if it weren't for certain circumstances
0: yeah and then like the fact that it shows through small things such as a polo shirt you know really does emphasize the the difference in communities and like and cultural wealth that's like distributed amongst the resources offered in schools
1: yeah I mean we had free lunches that were um in the lunch program and we qualified and I know a couple of students um who also did but then you had uh other students who they paid for their lunch and they were um in circumstances where they didn't necessarily make enough money to be continuously paying for lunch but they made too much in order to meet the program standards because they either um went both of their parents worked and um most of their money went to the mortgage but because of their income base of how much money they made a year put them outside of the qualification even though they really needed it
0: also, isn't that crazy how, like, students need to pay for lunch? And also, just think about the different lunches that were offered in different schools, you know? Because, like, Los Altos and Bassett were offered really, really, like, I remember high school food being disgusting to the point where, like, I got it for free, but I didn't even want it because it was it just tastes so bad that my mom would just make me sandwiches and salads for lunch. You know, while I had a friend who went to Charter Oak High School, which is a private high school, and he told me how, like, their lunches were were delicious, and he had water with lemons inside of it. <laughs> like they offer water with lemon in high school and i'm like what the hell like that was mind blowing to me just something so simple as that you know just shows how different like pe- how different experiences are just based off of where you go
1: yeah we also had um domino's pizza
0: that is bomb you see I didn't, have, I didn't have domino's yeah. pizza that's crazy we had
1: those little specialty you know you get this the uh, single serve little pizza pies yeah they came in the little uh, Domino's boxes. Damn. So everyone would be like, "Oh, they're rushing to go get a Domino's pizza because of course, it runs out. it runs out. And yeah. so then you're left with red and pizza or a limpy salad. they also added like a salad bar at like towards the end, like in my junior year senior, year, I think, big but that again was also because uh, I heard rumors that they did that because a lot of uh, students were saying that they were vegetarian or that they were vegan or that they just you know wanted a more healthier. Lunch.
0: yeah yeah and you know it just goes back to what you're saying where the student's voice is i guess what matters and it's super important to create change and influence you know and it's definitely something that we need to shine more light on because that's how change happens change doesn't happen from the top it happens from the bottom it happens from the people you know because the people are the ones that have the voice and they have the power it just doesn't really look that way because of the way power is distributed
1: yes and i think For this class specifically that we've taken, and like the whole department of the ethnic studies, um, they currently passed the legislation to allow the requirement of ethnic studies for college level students, which is great. You know, it's something that's uh, taken a lot of process and uh, time and effort be able to um have that as a requirement now but at the same time it it needs to go further into the k through 12 system because as we know taking this course education is key this is how you mold um the students and if you don't have any of these alternative programs of ibap odyssey or any other you know i know there was um gated uh, oh yeah gate i remember yeah. that too so if you don't have any of those special programs and you're in high school where like my mom was in where did some of the teachers were trying to teach you and some of the teachers were just passing you it becomes this idea you become this um student that's apathetic to education you know and education needs to be something that you're positive about it like you should have a, value it. you should value and it all starts with how we teach in our schools um with the uh, specifics to the ethnic and women's studies you know lens in a, an education classroom you're able to validate students from different backgrounds you know um
0: not just validate but also like value the like value the input they have because of like the unique the uniqueness that they have, you know.
1: Yes, and that's why Yoso is describing these other alternative capitals because people who are part of communities of color have these alternative capitals. That now, uh, for example, um, with the linguistic capital, it's a good thing to be bilingual or multilingual now because there's a change in the demographic of population. In the United States, specifically in California, um, and for people who know more than one language, especially Spanish, that's actually something that's able to get you a job nowadays.
0: Yeah, and like, and like, not just like, like outside of jobs, it also creates um, more potential for like, in, like, uh, enhanced uh, enhancement in social skills. You know, just do uh, being able to like understand multiple languages, understand multiple social cues nonverbal cues like how to like how to read people how to understand people these are all things that are enhanced through learning more languages you know and yeah i mean like um also going to social capital which has to do with um like it, it can be understood as networks of people and community resources you know so like these are peer and other social contacts that can provide can provide both instrumental and emotional support to navigate through society and its institutions you know and all of these capitals, like there's other capitals such as familial capital, which um refers to cultural knowledge among nurtured um um among nurtured uh uh nurtured families, you know that carry a sense of community, history, memory, and cultural intu- intuition. These are all things that should be valued because it allows diversity, allows difference and change, you know. Because in reality, everyone's different, and we need to emphasize that more because it allows like the possibilities for. like for like change you know yeah
1: and i know that um for me being a first generation college student me and my siblings were able to help our cousins who are younger than us be able to navigate the uh requirements to get into college because uh, most of the older generation of my family either graduated high school or didn't graduate high school because of external factors and being able to help out and uh my cousins who are getting into college now with FAFSA and the requirements of like you should take this class this class to speed things along um allows people to have another extra support system um when we're talking about the differences in the schools that you looked up the reason why the uh, the which which school was the
0: um we we did uh, we talked about Crenshaw High School then we talked about Pablos Verdes Peninsula High School
1: the reason why that um, Pablos Verdes is a better school in terms of like the scenery the aesthetics the way it looks is because it's been had resources put into it to make it look that way right yeah. and that goes to the surrounding areas what who are their donors who are their who's putting money into this school versus, um, in some of the other schools, you have small business owners that come and they donate scholarships or they donate, you know, to have resources from uh being alumni of schools. But if the wealthy population of the United States were to donate and put effort into all of the schools, they can all look like Pablos theaters.
0: Yeah, they can, and they and like they and like, they don't even need the community to donate, they have the resources for that, they're just not doing it, you know, but um, I really have hope, and uh, I really believe in the future in which the people who are going to school now to be educators like yourself are going to help create this change, you know, because change takes a long time, we do see change, it is slow, but it's there, you know, and um, with that being said, do you have any uh, final uh, words or remarks you want to talk about?
1: I feel like this is a great opportunity to have people understand that the United States education system is old. Out- outdated for outdated, sure. Outdated, yep. yes. And it needs to be updated uh, in terms of not having edu- uh, teachers looked as you know the authority of all-knowing information that they can't you know that the students have most of the power
0: they invite questions they invite challenge you know students should do that yes yeah i mean yeah i totally agree and that's something that uh it's possible in the future sadly it's just (laughs) gonna take some time but we it's possible you know we just need a we need to put our voices in to do it and this is something that we're slowly doing one way or another, one way is through here, through the podcast, you know, allowing us to spread this information to understand the difference in resources that are being given within school systems, you know, and um, with that being said, Todd, I just want to thank you so much for being on here, you know, um, thank you for sharing your experiences. This is definitely a unique experience that you are living right now, and more people need to understand that. So again, I appreciate you being vulnerable and opening up about what, what you have gone through.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Caesar, for having
0: me. Yeah, and uh, with that being said, thank you to everyone who tuned in, who listened. I really appreciate you, too. You helped me feel the potential of being fulfilled with what I can do and I, what I can Create with change and just uh, understanding resources. Uh, for those who aren't yet, you can follow me on social medias at Zenith underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Slowly, um, there's going to be a big announcement coming within the next few months about uh, what Zenith is going to be doing moving forward. So just stay in contact with that. Make sure to follow to keep up with all the, with all the episodes. And um, I just want to say again, this is really important. And uh, I w- we're going to conclude this week, this episode again we talked about the resources in schools and talked about disability services this is definitely something that needs to be sh- uh, more light needs to be shined on so thank you again for giving this p- putting this opportunity to listen and until next time you know where to find me at the zenith have a good day